Can we pray as we turn our attention to the Word of God? Father, thank you for your Word and the message that I think you've given for us today. Thank you, Lord, that it's your Word and that I pray it would accomplish in each person's heart and life that which you intend. The Bible says, Lord, that your Word doesn't return without accomplishing its purpose. And so, Lord, whether that purpose is encouragement, whether it's healing emotionally or physically, Whatever your purpose is, Lord, as we engage with your word this morning, we pray that that would come to pass. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had an English teacher at school. Um, did anyone else have English teachers at school? I know, so some people are foreigners, so they might not have had. But do you remember your English teacher? <clears throat> the last three years of high school, I had a particularly good English teacher. She spoke English very well, so please don't take my... Uh, accent or ability to speak English as any reflection on her, but she was tough, and somehow she fixated on me, while well, my view then as a teenage boy is that she was giving me way too much undue attention. Uh, I was an introvert then, compared to then now I'm an extrovert, but I was more <laughs> introvert, okay, um, <clears throat> I was much more introverted then, and I, I was wrestling with some things in my personal life and some things in, in my Home situation were complicated, and I was at boarding school. And uh, so what I was doing is what all good introverts do. I was just burrowing deeper into myself. And somehow she picked up on this. And so almost every day when we went for English class, she would look at me and go, Mr. Bester, I see that you're tunneling again today. Uh, obviously in a much better English accent. And uh, being gentle and cooperative, the more she said it, the deeper I decided to tunnel. But she kept doing another thing in that she kept giving me opportunities to speak. She would sign me up for debates. The one debate was so bad that if the, we partnered with someone from another school, if they hadn't spoken, it would have gone down as the biggest disaster in debate history because I was halfway through my cards, very confident, and started speaking and then forgot, you know, you're supposed to have those two by four cards and then I forgot to keep moving them and then I forgot what I was saying and I didn't know where I was and it was horrible. But we, this, uh, the other person in the team rescued us. And she kept um, nominating me to do speeches at school. So when I was in Standard 9, which is grade 11 now, I had to do like the farewell speech for the matrix. So you know when you talk and they sometimes say that you're, my, my legs were shaking, you could see my pants moving. It didn't just feel like it. <laughs> and then, you know, you go up on the stage and all the teachers are there and there's like hundreds of old boys at the final speech. And, and she just kept nominating me to speak, and it was, I couldn't understand why, but as tough as she was, she saw something in me that maybe I could do this, maybe, okay. And it was difficult, but she used her position of strength. She used her uh, position that she had as a teacher, as an authority figure, to open a door of opportunity for me, to encourage me to step into something that perhaps I couldn't see myself. And I had that experience too when I came in Hatfield, not difficult English teachers, but people who were prepared to encourage me and to make a way for me, give me opportunities and open doors that perhaps would have not have been open for me, doors to study further, words of encouragement. You know, sometimes when you're wrestling and someone comes and they say just the right thing at the right time, you think, okay, I can go again. Words of encouragement. In fact, I heard a story here, well, it's a testimony. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I heard it of someone who had actually decided to make Hatfield their home church because of you. They were sitting in a particular area in the church, 
and everyone around them was friendly and welcoming. How's that? And that's what made them decide, not the worship, not the preaching, just because you're so friendly, they decided to come to Hatfield. That words of encouragement, noticing the other, creating opportunities, welcoming people, is a critical part of our Christian life. Isn't this also what parents do? Where parents live a life where perhaps they don't get that new car or that new shirt that they wanted so that their children can have. They create opportunities. They live sacrificial lives so that their children can go further as well. So have you had someone in your life who's perhaps opened a door of opportunity for you? Have you had someone who said something just at the right time? Can anyone relate? Okay, there's a few. Please notice whose hands aren't up. They need help. Okay. Before, this, before you leave today? Okay. And so we've been busy with our series uh, called A Body of Heroes. The idea being that we here at Hatfield are a body of heroes. And we looked at, we've been looking at some of the lesser known people in the New Testament, Old Testament, uh, that accomplished and did things for God, but perhaps weren't famous and upfront. And so last week, Pastor Louis preached that wonderful message on the father who stood in the gap for his son. And today, we want to talk about heroes with strength. Heroes with strength. And we look, want to look at the life of Barnabas. The Barnabas, you might say, is not all that unknown or lesser known. He's very famous for being uh, Paul's traveling companion on the first missionary journey. But what I'd like to do is look at aspects of Barnabas's life that maybe aren't so central to that missionary journey. And so... It's interesting that we find him just emerging as Luke writes for us and records for us in the book of Acts. He pops up at these critical moments in church history, critical moments in the life of the early church. And so if you can open your Bibles or devices, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Acts and we're going to just kind of try and go through it sequentially. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4 and we're just going to read you know, snapshot verses to try and get an idea. And so the first time, first times are always important times, first time we read about Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and verse 37. Acts chapter 4, 36 and 37. Here we discover that his name was actually Joseph. Okay. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, so he was in a family of good standing. He was in a good Jewish family, had the right heritage. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is a significant moment in the history of the church. Just before this in chapter 4, we've read about some characteristics of the church, that they were sharing all things in common, that there was no one in need among them, that the apostles were teaching. And often we go to this passage in Acts 4, from about 32, I think, where we look at this picture of this ideal community. And just after Luke describes the generosity and the spirit and the leaning forward and the growth of the church in Jerusalem, he introduces Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. He introduces Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And here already we learn that Barnabas is a generous man. He sells a field he owns, maybe in the surrounds of Jerusalem, perhaps back home in Cyprus, and he brings the proceeds of that sale and he lays it at the apostles' feet. See, Barnabas was in on what God was doing at that time. It seems that he had the ability or the insight to identify and recognize what God was doing. And he saw that God was pouring out generosity. And so he took of his means, the resources God had given him, 
and he was able to share it with the apostles. He was part of this early Christian community from the beginning. Right early on, this is probably within two or three years after Jesus had died and resurrected and gone to heaven, Barnabas is already part of the Christian community. We know from church history that he was probably martyred somewhere in the mid-80s, So he served God faithfully for at least 30 years going forward. It's kind of interesting for me that Barnabas takes this field and sells it and lays at the apostles' feet. I was, as I was reading the story, I was reminded of the parable that Jesus told around the great treasure, where you find the treasure of the kingdom, Jesus said, and then you sell all you have to buy the field. And it's a little bit opposite here. Barnabas goes and sells his field so that he can join the kingdom and be part of what God is doing in Jerusalem. And so we see Barnabas here as a generous man that he provides for the church. The next time we encounter Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9. A few years have gone by. I don't know how long since the story we've just been told about Barnabas. But we know that it's about two to three years after Saul's conversion. So it would be a couple of years have passed since we first uh, hear about Barnabas. And this is in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26 and verse 27. What's happened is that Paul has had his Damascus Road encounter. Remember, he gets knocked off his horse, and he gets taken into the city, and uh, Ananias comes and uh, prophesies over him, and the scales fall from his eyes. And if we read Acts, it sounds like it's quite quick, because then it says, you know, the Lord calls him and tells him what he's supposed to do, and, and then he gets up and he starts preaching immediately. But as we kind of look at the New Testament, it seems that he stayed in and around Damascus, perhaps went and spent some time learning and reassessing the Old Testament for about two years. After that two to three year period, Barnabas comes back from Damascus to Jerusalem and he tries to join the church there. But there's a problem. Because the last time Paul was in Jerusalem, what was he doing? He was killing Christians. He was the persecutor in chief. Uh, He was zealous, actually. He had special letters to go and actually kill Christians. And so naturally, after this period of time, some of the Christians in Jerusalem might have heard about Saul. He was called Saul, later called Paul, name change. Heard about his conversion. They might have heard about it, but they were very skeptical. So he comes to the church in Jerusalem and he tries to join it. And then we read this snapshot in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, when he, referring to Paul... When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, with good reason, I would think, not believing that he was really a disciple. So they thought he was actually trying to infiltrate them so that he could catch more disciples. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Yeah, the apostles, sorry, not the impossibles. That sounds wonderful. Okay. The apostles, they made things possible. Okay. Barnabas has the courage. He has the strength to go and take Paul, and he brings him to the apostles. He introduces him to Peter and and James and a couple of the other leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So somewhere in this two to three year period, Barnabas had either connected with Saul and knew about him, and he knew what had happened. But what Barnabas does here is remarkable. He opens the door for Paul. The Jerusalem church doesn't want to let him in, but Barnabas takes his position of strength because he's known in the church. He's got a very good reputation in the church. We'll see, even later, he had a very good reputation. He was well known. And he 
uses his reputation, he uses his position of influence, his position of strength, and he brings Paul in. He opens the door of opportunity for Paul, and he connects him with the leaders. Perhaps Barnabas had to put some of his credibility on the line. I can imagine Peter saying, are you sure? I'm not so much into being caught in jail today. And so Barnabas, maybe to you, I don't know if it's a good expression, he puts some skin in the game. He involves, he commits himself. He uses his own stake to make place for Paul. Imagine if he hadn't done that. We would have lost a whole lot of our Christian history probably. And so here we see Barnabas opening the door of opportunity for Paul to meet with the leaders. The next time we read about him is in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. Now, before we read there, I need to just give a little bit of context. Just before, historically before this and recorded for us in Acts 11, a very important thing happens in the history of Christianity, actually, in the history of the church. And that is the first multicultural church is planted. It's planted in Syrian Antioch, just north of Jerusalem. A church is planted in Antioch. What happens, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, is that some Jewish believers, Jewish Christians from Cyprus, go to Antioch. Now, up until this time, which might be up to 10 years after the church in Jerusalem, after Pentecost, the church is largely Jewish. Wherever the people, even from the day of Pentecost, went to Rome and other places, they planted churches largely within the Jewish communities, people from Jewish natural descent or proselytes, people from other cultures and races that had converted to the Jewish faith. And so for many years, the church has got this largely Jewish ethos, largely Jewish feel. But then some of these guys from Cyprus go to Antioch, and as we read it, it appears what happens is that they intentionally start evangelizing the non-Jewish people, the Greek-speaking people in the city of Antioch. And God arrives. God does something. Now, the event with Cornelius, where Peter told Cornelius that he could come into faith, happens in Acts 10. It happens just before this event. But it seems to have stayed quite contained. It didn't explode into anything. But something happens here in Antioch, and it explodes. And so the apostles and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem hear about that God is doing something. I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, God's doing something at another church, or God's doing something in Toronto, or... Brownsville, I'm dating myself now badly, or maybe in whichever place in the world, God's doing something. And then I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone you know goes and they check out what happens. That's kind of what the apostles do here. They trust Barnabas, not only in his person, but you know, obviously he's now got some good theology because they send him to Antioch to assess what's happening there. What is this God? Isn't it God? We've heard strange things are happening. There's non-Jewish people becoming Christians now, which was God's intent all the time. It just had taken so much time to roll out in practice. And so in verse 22 in Acts 11, we read the account of this. So news reaches the church in Jerusalem of all that's been happening in Antioch, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw that the grace of, what the grace of God had done. So he has insight again to see what God is doing. He was glad and encouraged, because that was what he was known for. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And then it says this about him, verse 24. He was a good man. He was a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
And so we not only see that Barnabas can go and discern, he's trusted by the leaders in Jerusalem to see what's happening. He can discern and see correctly what God is doing. But also under his ministry and leadership, many more people come to the faith. So there's an effective ministry that happens through this good person, this good man, and notices what, notes what God is doing. While he's there in Antioch, Barnabas does another very important thing. He realizes that the church in Antioch needs to be established. It needs some teaching. It needs some growth. It needs to be grounded. And so while he's in Antioch, if you drop down a few verses in Acts 11 he does, into verse 25, you'll see that Barnabas does something very important. Verse 25, Acts 11. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. What had happened after Saul had been introduced to the leaders in Jerusalem, he went back to his home city, Tarsus, which is even further north. It would have been quite a trip. This is not hop on the train and go. It would have been a couple of weeks of traveling to get to Tarsus. But as we understand the New Testament, it seems that Paul had spent about eight years, eight to ten years, in his home city of Tarsus, teaching people, instructing them in the faith. And Barnabas then goes to look for Saul. And he finds him, verse 26, he says, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples there were called Christians, sorry, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas goes and fetches Paul. The one, we, we, he still refers to him as Saul in this passage, we better know him as Paul. Barnabas fetches Paul from where he's been doing what God has been calling him to do in relative anonymity, and he brings him to this church, and together they minister, and together they teach. I love it, by the way, that the first recorded multiracial, multicultural church has this moniker that it's there that they were first called Christians. What we call ourselves today comes out of this context. I love, I love the church in Antioch, but I'm not preaching on it today. So Christ followers is the first place that we were called that. Later on, we're not going to read it, Paul and Barnabas get sent by this church in Antioch to take a mercy gift to Jerusalem. So Barnabas is trusted even to carry gifts back to Jerusalem. The next place we read about Paul, uh, Barnabas sorry, is the well-known place in Acts chapter 13 and 14, which we often call the first missionary journey. What happens there is the leaders, the uh, book of Acts tells us that they were prophets and teachers in the, the church in Antioch, they were the leaders. They are praying and God tells them to set aside Barnabas and Paul to go on a missions trip. And from this church, they are launched out to go on the first mission trip into specifically non-Jewish territories. And they go on a mission trip into what today is uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor largely, and they, they go to Cyprus as well, Barnabas' home country, and they plant churches wherever they go. And so Barnabas is the co-leader of the first mission journey recorded for us in the book of Acts. And he leads this journey and he teaches on this journey with Paul. It's during this missionary trip that Paul starts becoming famous because he seems to have been a more eloquent speaker than Barnabas, and so he becomes the dominant figure then on the mission trip. But Barnabas is an integral part of this trip. The next time we read about Barnabas, if you keep paging in your book of Acts, is in Acts chapter 15. It's another very significant place, or event, sorry, in the history of the early church. It's called commonly the Jerusalem Council. So after the church in Antioch had grown and Paul had been on mission trips, some theological questions arose in the early church. Essentially this, and it's my language, 
How Jewish do you need to become in your culture and religious practices? How much of the Jewish uh, norms and ethos must you adopt to be a Christian, to be called a follower of Christ? And there was a, quite a theological debate in the history of the early church. Some more from the Jewish background were saying, well, actually, to become Christian, you really need to be Jewish. And if you're a man, that means horrible things, like being circumcised. Okay. Um, but also to adopt some of the food laws and other practices. And then other guys, like Peter, who God had given that vision with Cornelius and Barnabas and Paul and others that had been ministering in the Gentile territories, were saying, no, it's about grace and it's about faith. It's not about customs and adopting culture. The thing that unites us is not our traditions. The thing that unites us is our faith in Christ. And so the church leaders gather everybody together in Jerusalem and they have a big council. This is the first ever church council. And everyone gets to talk in typical council fashion. Everyone talks, everyone contributes. And one of the significant figures that speaks at this council is Barnabas. Peter spoke, and he's quite famous. Paul spoke, and we also know about him. But Barnabas, because of his credibility and standing in the Jerusalem church, also gets a chance to speak. And he shares there his insights again of what God is doing and how God was ministering among the Gentiles. At the end of the council, they decide you don't have to become very Jewish, good news, to become Christian. You need to adopt certain key things like faith in Jesus. And they trust Barnabas to carry their official letter back to the church in Antioch and back to the Gentile churches. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is a trusted figure, and that God uses him at significant moments in the history of the church. But true to Scripture, as the Bible does, is it also shows us that Barnabas wasn't all that perfect. Neither was Paul, by the way, as we'll see in this account. And I, share, I want to share just two quick things from Barnabas' life where he didn't quite get it right. Because, you see, to be a hero, a community of heroes, God doesn't need us to be perfect. God needs us to be living our lives towards Him. God needs us to be working on our holiness and to be doing what He's called us to do. But things can still happen that we that are difficult, that we, can need to work, that we need to work through. So Barnabas did great things. He was present at significant moments, but he also dealt with real life and real relationships. One of these is recorded for us further down in Acts 15. They've gone back to Antioch. They've planted their churches, and they want to go, and Paul and Barnabas get together and say, we should go and visit the churches that we planted. They were away for about two years, by the way, on that trip. And they're away, and he said, it's about time. They need to go back and see if these churches are still there and how they're doing. And so in Acts 15, verse 36 to 39, it records an interesting or a rather sad event for us. It says, sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. He, Mark was probably Barnabas' nephew or his cousin. But Paul did not think it wise to take him with because he, Mark, had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not counted and not continued with them in the work. So Paul keeps a bit of an issue grudge here that this guy was with us and he left and I don't want him to come with us again. It's deeply Christian of Paul. Okay. Verse 39 says, They, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas takes Mark and he goes to Cyprus, his home country. In some of the more older or more literal translations, they, they euphemize this and they say, Paul and Barnabas had no small disagreement. This is two Middle Eastern men disagreeing about something. Okay. 
a sharp disagreement. I think it was verbal. I think it was lots of gesticulating and all extroverted kinds of things that were happening there. So even Paul and Barnabas, they had a relational hiccup. Now we know from Corinthians and Colossians that they probably made up, they reconciled. Uh, Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 speaks very favorably of Barnabas. He refers to him as an apostle who, like him, works to support himself. And that John Mark, the guy they were probably arguing about, actually becomes later part of Paul's ministry team. So just like good Christians, they reconcile too. Is that okay? But we can be on our journey of heroes and we can still hit little bumps in the road. That shouldn't curtail us because both Paul and Barnabas go on and do what God's called them to do. Paul then goes north inland and he finds Timothy and Timothy becomes part of his ministry team because of this. So God will work good as long as we're living our lives towards him and, take, and following him as best we can. It's another place where Barnabas, which we won't turn to in the text, also didn't quite get it right. Paul recounts it for us in Galatians 2, where Barnabas at the council is on the forefront of reconciling Jews and Gentiles. There's an incident that happens in, uh, in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, where Paul says that because of social pressures, Barnabas started withdrawing from the table fellowship of the, Jewish and the Jews and Gentiles together. And Paul then corrects him. And so perhaps that's what also led to this disagreement as well. And so we can be following the Lord but still find difficult relationships. As long as we can find a way to work through them, heroes don't have to be perfect. And so just to recap and then maybe just to apply it as I feel the Lord has led me, Barnabas strengthened others. One of the ways we see that he strengthened others was with his means, with his possessions. He sold his field. Later on, we know that he worked so that he could pay for his ministry trip so that the people that he was ministering to didn't have to carry that burden. So he strengthened others with his possessions. Barnabas also strengthened others, particularly by opening doors of opportunity. We see this on the two occasions most clearly where he went and fetched Paul. He introduces Paul to the leaders in Jerusalem, and he, introduces Paul, uh, he brings Paul to the church in Antioch and to join with what God is doing there. So Barnabas strengthened others by opening doors of opportunity. We also see that Barnabas strengthened others with his speaking, his ability to speak. He spoke at the council, he preached and taught on the mission trip, and at the church of Antioch he taught and stayed there for a year. So even with his ability to teach and show others what God was doing and saying and with the Bible, he was able to strengthen others. I believe Barnabas also strengthened others with his insight, his ability to recognize what God was doing. When God was doing something unique and special in the early church in Jerusalem, when he was, everyone was sharing their goods in common, Barnabas had insight to see what God was doing. He had insight to see what God was doing in Paul's life and fetch him. He had insight to see what God was doing in Antioch and how God was bringing Jews and Gentiles together. His insight, with his insight, he was able to recognize and support God's agenda and strengthen others. And then the last way I think that Barnabas strengthened others was by being true to his name. He was an encourager. He fetched others. He encouraged them to do what God had done. I'm reminded again of Acts 11:24, where it says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. If we can do what Barnabas does by allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in us richly, following him and exercising our faith, we can accomplish what God has. And so I have two challenges for us this morning. 
I'm wondering if the Lord isn't asking us, maybe you as an individual, to open doors of opportunity for others, to open doors of opportunity for others. Perhaps it's in your home, where it's children or a relative or in your family, where you know you have the means to open a door of opportunity for someone. But it might take some of your credibility. It might cause you to put some skin in the game. Maybe God is asking you in your family or home situation to open doors of opportunity. And then maybe particularly for those of us or for those of you who are leaders in your business and in your workplace, maybe you own a company, maybe you're a manager or you have a position of influence in your workspace. I'm wondering if the Lord isn't challenging you to open doors of opportunity. It's that person you know, you see something in them, but perhaps like me, they're tunneling down or they're hiding their potential. Maybe God's asking you to become a door opener for them. I remember the first time I came across, I was challenged with this. It was about, I think in about 2000, we were doing a Bible school year. We had some missionaries come from YWAM and they were taking us through some intensive Bible study in the New Testament. And we were dealing with a passage in Galatians where it spoke about there's neither male nor female. And the, the guy who was teaching, his name was Donnie. As Donnie was teaching, he, he brought up this thing about the glass ceiling. Ladies, you've heard of it, maybe? Where there's opportunities open to men, but not to women. And as Donnie was sharing with us, he said, but what about in the church? Aren't there things in the church where there's opportunities open to men that aren't open to women? Isn't there a glass ceiling? And then he challenged us that we're there in the room, deeply entrenched in the scriptures, and all kinds of technical, exegetical things. And he said, will you be a door opener? If you're a man, will you be a door opener for women? And I remember that day I was in. I was so convinced. And I've, I think I've tried to do that as well as I can. But maybe in your workplace, you need to be a door opener for people of a different gender, of a different culture, of a different race, maybe even foreigners. We need to be open doors of opportunity for others. Perhaps it's here at church. Maybe you need to fetch the next Paul. I, don't, I wonder if Barnabas, I think he saw something in Paul, obviously in Tarsus when he goes to fetch him. But I wonder if he knew that Paul would write most of the New Testament and plant churches all over the Roman Empire. I wonder if he had that insight. But maybe there's somebody you know. And I'm not talking about somebody who's planted in at another church, okay? they're at another church, it's fine. But there's somebody you know that you need to open the door for to come here. Someone that you know belongs in a church or at Hatfield. Maybe God wants you to fetch them. And so I understand I'm challenging you, and I understand it's maybe not comfortable. But maybe there's somebody, maybe you're the one who fetches the next Paul to be fantastic. You can always, when you get to heaven, say, Jesus says, what do you do? He said, I did that. Okay. So would you consider opening doors of opportunities, using your strength, whatever it is, using your platform of influence, wherever it is, using your insight and abilities to open doors for others? And then I believe the second challenge for us this morning is, will you be an encourager? You know, we live in a world where we tend to look at what's wrong before we look at what's right. Just read the news. It's easy. If you think of the nation, you think of your community that you live in, the street you live in, it's always easier to see what's wrong before we see what's right. But what encouragers can do is on an individual level, on a biggest corporate level, on a team level maybe, 
They're able to see what is right, and they're able to bring that into focus. And so perhaps this week, and I know it's also linked with our Mandela Day initiative as well, the words part of that. But maybe to find somebody that you can encourage at work or at home in this coming week. Can you think as you're sitting here of one person that you could go to at work and say, you know, I notice you always do this, and I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate it. Would you keep on doing it? You do it so well. Even if it's something they're supposed to do, like being on time. Just go to them and say, thank you for being on time today. Just that little bit of encouragement. Is that okay? Sorry, that, I didn't link that with what Pastor Jack said earlier. Oops. Well, it wasn't intentional. But maybe. Okay. Can you think of just one person in this week that maybe you can open a door of opportunity for? One person in the week that you can go to and say, I'm so proud of you. I see you doing this. Thank you so much. Is that hard? It's not like you have to fast and pray to do that. But you can make somebody's day because we can all be Barnabas. We can all be sons and daughters of encouragement. We can use our strength to make others better, to strength, use our strength to strengthen others. That's a good way to think about encouragement, to use our strength to strengthen others. Can you stand and let's pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. And as I prayed at the beginning, Lord, I pray that you take the words that have been shared and apply them to each of our lives as they needed. Thank you, Lord, for each one here today. Under the sound of my voice, those listening on social media platforms, now and later. I pray, Lord, you give us eyes to see those that need encouragement around us. I pray you give us insight to recognize potential, to see the person that's perhaps overlooked, and to open doors of opportunity for them. I pray, Lord, you give us favor and courage to be able to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I bless each one in this room. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Lord, that you brought them and that they came. Bless them as they go. Bless them in their week. In everything their hand finds to do, I pray, Lord, you bless them. I pray you heal relationships, restore friendships. And where we've perhaps had relational bumps and difficulties, would you work good, Lord, in those situations as we live our lives towards you? So I pray again, Lord, your blessing on each one. And I pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you want to follow the Lord in obedience and be baptized, please go through to the function hall. Thank you.